No. I'm not worried at all. I rely on God, Allah. Addressing real issues with real solutions with real Muslim communities living in the West. Join the LifeHug Podcast family as we go beyond the theoretical. To connect with us, go to youtube.com slash Dr. Sayed and support us by subscribing and hitting the notification bell. For more reminders, follow us on Twitter at life underscore Huck. Well, I kind of think, uh, I kind of think, Doctor, that um, um, I tend to be a lot more optimistic um, than most people. Yes. Um, and maybe my optimism comes at the end uh, because like a doctor, mm. after he does his diagnosis uh, and comes up with maybe even a treatment plan and all of that, he kind of knows what's going on. And when he confronts you, he doesn't say right away that you have cancer maybe. You know, he just says, you know, I want to run some more tests because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about a few things. So he's being diplomatic, although he's already seen some things that are already conclusive, right? But this is just his, his medical training uh, to kind of drop it on you so you're not traumatized. So when he chooses to tell you that you have cancer, even he does it in a, such a way that he couches it. So he says to you, I'm just, you know, I'm just telling you how I've seen it. He says, uh, listen, we, we did some tests and uh, I wasn't uh, too pleased with a few of the tests that came across. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm more than concerned now. I'm a bit, I'm confirmed. I'm, I'm convinced that, um, that we have a, a, a task in front of us. This is how he comes with it, right? And he says that, um, and I want to be honest with you because I'm your doctor. It's my job to kind of like, uh, clear the air, be clear with you about what we need to do. Um, you know, what we've detected is some live cancer cells. You know, so the guy doesn't, he says cancer so fast, the guy doesn't catch it or the lady doesn't catch it. You've caught, would you, you said what? The doctor mm. says, yeah. yeah. But however, uh, the good thing about it, you know, before he did, before the word cancer really hits you, he says, the good thing about it, we caught it on time. So mm. you see, he dropped on you the situation, mm. but he delivered you straight into. The good news is that we've caught it on time and that we've got a treatment plan. And if you kind of follow what we did, there's a good chance we're going to beat this. So now, you know, this is just a wonderful way that his training has couched the trauma, the reality, and taking you into another thing of like, from a point of therapy, don't worry about it. You know, we're going to move. Well, mm. um, I, I like that approach. So uh, having said that, uh, I try to be, um, and I try to, when I talk to people about an issue, I, mm. come at it, I try to come at it um, surgical, therapeutic. Mm. Um, I try to keep it real, mm. um, you know, in my own way. I even, sometimes I even add some humor. I even mm. bring sometimes some urban graphics to the yeah. table to kind of wake people up because they wasn't they, they they just wasn't expecting me to talk with uh, Ebonics. So I even mm. sometimes introduce some Ebonics because I know there's some homeboys in the room or something like that. Mm. Uh, but, and even I'm sometimes a bit critical. I pull back the scabs mm. um, that people are hiding that we just don't talk about. And people get, they cringe a little bit. Uh, wow, 
you know, like, and I can see in the crowd that like, whoa, you know, like I'm talking sometime about an issue um, that brothers and sisters do not hear a discussion about real and raw. Mm. I go to it. But then at the end, I say, okay, brothers and sisters, I know I've been, I've been a bit critical. Uh, I know that, you know, I've been a, a bit uh, also um, graphic. And uh, I'm not going to apologize for that because that was part of the treatment. Uh, however, what I'd like to say here is that uh, I think that we've got a grasp on this. I think that there's a, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I think that there's a way that we can deal with this here if we catch it now and if we are sincere about it right now. I think that we can deal with this here where we're not going to wind up traumatic or, or we're not going to up, uh, what do you call it? We're not going to, uh, uh, what do you call that? When the boat capsizes, we're not going to capsize the boat. We're not going to hit each other. We're not going to harm each other. We caught it. We can deal with it. Well, that is to have a bit of optimism. And sometimes the captain of the boat or the, or the pilot on the plane, when he reaches a situation that he knows is really dangerous, he doesn't want to say exactly, hey, guys, I don't really know where we're going to land at. I don't know what he's not going to say that because he doesn't want to put the people in panic. He's going to say, like, oh, we've got it controlled. Don't worry. Just buckle your seats up. And uh, 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 uh. OK, so sometimes we've got to do that um, in order to lessen the trauma, but to keep the people's attention. And so, yeah. alhamdulillah, doctor, uh, I am very optimistic about um, um, the um, the overall global condition of Muslims. Yes. I'm optimistic because I do believe that in different places in the world, there are intellectuals, there are business people, there are industrially trained people, there are very sincere and capable scholars. Mm. Uh, there are men and women who have a deep love for the Prophet and a deep love for Islam. And because of social media and because of telecommunications, they have been able to cross ethnic and cultural lines to listen to each other and to mm. start forming a global consciousness and that the thinking now is starting to change. Uh, not, not a great change, but the water is now lukewarm. It was cold before. It's now lukewarm. So that maybe in another year or two, it's going to be warm. And maybe in five years or seven years, it's going to be hot. And maybe in 10 years' time, if God willing, I'm living, it's going to be ready for the tea or the coffee. And I'm talking about on a global level. Uh, because I don't see Islam performing anymore within the spectrum of Western or Eastern or uh, regional or regional uh, theaters any longer. Mm. Uh, truth is not regional. Mm. And Islam is not regional. Mm. And when it manifests itself, based upon the, the realms of telecommunications, on the realm of social media and transnational corporation and business and the tools that we have today, I believe that when Islam hits, really hits the world, in full stride, in full stride, I think that we're going to see a renaissance of Islam um, that 
the world probably is not going to, uh, the world is not expecting, and that mm-hmm. even Muslims themselves probably are not going to expect. Why? Because I think that the people that are going to be entering Islam um, in the next seven to ten years, the caliber of people, mm. the backgrounds of people, the tools and experiences and resources that they have, mm. that there's going to be a global renaissance. Mm. Not one that is like before, Eastern mm. or Western or regional. Um, and, and on that point, if, if you don't mind, let me just say something. Um, there's something very unique happening in the world today. Mm. Um, you know, I visited Turkey. And mm. I hope you don't mind me just sometimes using examples like this here. No, I, visited no Turkey, I visited Turkey in 19, the first time in 1984. Mm. So that's like 36 years ago. Yeah. And I was sitting in Tuxum Square in 1984. Mm. You know, looking out at the masjid, mm. uh, the blue mosque and, you know, these beautiful masjids. And I'm sitting in view, in, in here site. Or I'm I'm sitting in ear 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 ear. Uh, what do you call that? Uh, uh, in listening mm. um, range of about fifteen or twenty mosques. Mm. So I was sitting there, and it was Asa time. And when one adhan happens, you hear fifteen or twenty mosques calling the adhan from all over. Mm. And Tuxum Square is a view of the bay, the Bosphorus, I think. Uh, see. So I was sitting there drinking coffee and I hear the Avon. And I'm noticing that nobody's moving. Mm. You know, you know, usually, you know, if you're in Saudi Arabia, you know, especially, or mm. Egypt, and you're sitting someplace in the Avon happens, you mm. start seeing reactions to the Avon. Mm. Well, I was sitting in Tuxum Square, you know, in the city in Istanbul. This is downtown. Yeah. And nobody's moving. I said, well, what's going on here? So, okay, I get up and I go to a mosque. I walk mm. about 15 minutes and I go to a beautiful mosque and I go inside and there's not many people there. Okay, and I pray with the imam, he comes in. And if you don't mind me giving you the scenario, the imam comes in, you know, dressed, you know, casual. And he puts on his burqa or his, his uh, what you call it? His, uh, jubba, yeah. He puts on his jubba. Yeah. And he puts on his amama and uh, mm. he steps up on the platform. He leads a prayer after he finishes. He does his tasbihat, you know, and he hangs those on a little pin. And then he goes back and takes his jubba and hangs it up and puts his amama mm. on the shelf. And he's, when I came out of the mosque, I passed by this coffee shop and the imam is sitting there smoking a cigarette. <laughs> I said, yeah. what's going on here? To yeah. be honest with you, my first impression of Turkey, based upon it being the last uh, semblance of the khilafah, Mm. I was really traumatized. Mm. I was so disappointed that I almost felt like I'm never coming back here again. Mm. Well, let me fast forward it to you just to show you about what happens. Mm. Uh, Let's fast forward it. Um, Six years ago, I was invited to Turkey uh, to give a lecture in the same hall that President Erdogan, when he was the prime minister, Mm. He gave his inaugural speech in that hall. So you can mm. know that this must have been a very prestigious hall. Well, he gave me that hall or permission to use that hall for my lecture. It's a crazy place mm. where 
they can translate your lecture into 28 lectures just like that at the same time. Oof, subhanAllah. Okay. The, it's the view of the place. like It's like a glass wall looking mm. at the ocean with seats of like 600 or 800 people. I mean, it's like, you, you know, you can't believe it. So this mm. is where they invited me. So after I delivered the lecture um, and I sat with some brothers and we took a tour of, a real tour of Istanbul. Mm. The difference between 1984 and 2014 was like night and day. Mm. So this is what telecommunications, this is what global uh, dynamics, social media, a new view, a new leadership, this is what can happen to me. It's not like it brought a new turkey, what, but what it did do, it, br it brought a new view, a new, a new ambiance, a totally mm. new um, set of thinking so, mm. that, so that, think about this now. In the United States, I don't know about Canada, but in the United States, Turkey has, in the last six years, built what, well, I'm living here, where I'm at right now, where I'm sitting right now, mm. I'm sitting three minutes away from the most, the largest, most sophisticated, most impressionable, high-tech um, Islamic center in North America, built with $128 million. Mm. And um, it's not sitting, it's not a mosque. It's a community. Mm. Okay, it's Turkish style or whatever you want to call it. But this is what the modern world requires. Mm. Because the, the Turkish government, and I'm not, again, giving some kind of a, maybe somebody say, hey, Sheikh, did the Turkish government sponsor you or something like that? Mm. No, they didn't. I'm just telling you my real impressions. So mm. the Turkish government has a, has a vision, unlike maybe some other countries today, that they are going to build 20 such mosques, Islamic centers rather, in the world, mm. for the world to be able to see physically. You know, and their idea is that this mosque or this Islamic center has mm. to eclipse any church in America. It has mm. to eclipse any synagogue in America. Mm. It, it must become a centerpiece that when any non-Muslim steps on this place and sees it physically, or they see it from a distance or on a postcard, they have to understand this is a product of Islamic civilization. Mm. And for that reason, uh, I want to say that I have to thank the Turkish government and the Turkish leadership uh, for doing that uh, on our behalf. Mm. Uh, because even though it might be aesthetic mm. for me, I can say that with my mother, my 97-year-old mother, who mm. took Shahada from me, uh, you know what she told me when she saw the picture? Mm. SubhanAllah. She just saw the postcard. She didn't visit mm. the place. Yeah. You know what she said to me? Mm. She told me, she said, Khalid, mm. son, I'm really proud of you. Because now, I was just standing there. I had given the khutbah last week at the khutbah, Jummah. And I took mm. a picture with the, with the ambassador. You know, mm. he asked me to take a picture with him. 
So we took a picture, and you know, he was not dressed like the ambassador. He was dressed like a regular guy from the street. Mm. So my mother didn't know who he was. Yeah. She said to me, "Who's those guys standing with you?" I said, "It's the director of the place, and the other guy's the ambassador." So she said, "Well, what is that?" I said, "Well, he's the representative of the government of that country." She says to me, "I'm really proud of you, son, because you seem like you've really done something." Mm. <laughs> meaning, meaning what she meant. Yeah. She thought she thought that that was my mosque. Mm. She, you know, my mother's 97. Mm. She's prayed with me in African mosque and Arab mosque and Asian mm. mosque, and she's went with me over the years and whatever. And in her mind, when she saw those place that place, she told me, "Son, that is the most beautiful religious place I have ever seen in my life." And you say it's in America. I said, yes, mother, it's in America. She said, son, you don't need to go anywhere else. Mm. That's what she told me. So take the statement of a 97-year-old African-American woman who took Shahada from her son, who didn't finish high school, who doesn't, you know, hasn't moved beyond the urban area where she has lived, mm. um, her impressions. And so I think that what's happening today is that there is an Islamic renaissance taking place in the world today that's mm. going to eliminate and modify a lot of culture and it's going to dissipate the the, the ethnic colors mm. it's going to bring people together on the same platform where they are forced to talk solve problems that mm. are not regional problems they're not mm. even they're not even government governmental problems they mm. are national and international mm. problems and mm. issues that we're going to have to solve, that we're going to mm. have to or resolve, so to speak. Mm. And so this is why I am very optimistic after mm. traveling around the world uh, and after spending this five or six months in isolation, mm. uh, I'm very optimistic. And I just want to give you a little uh, a clip from my book. And at the end of my book, like the last chapter I'm talking I'm mm. writing, and I said, I said, you know what, brothers and sisters, uh, those who are reading this book, who are Muslims or non-Muslims, uh, I want to give you the statement that I, and I'm going to say it wholeheartedly and sincerely. Um, it has come to my, uh, it has come to my heart and my mind, as an American citizen, and as a African American, and as a Muslim. That Islam is good for America, and mm. America is good for Islam. Mm. That's like one of the last sentences that I say in my book, right? Mm. So I've said it before in some lectures, and people have like, "What?" Mm. The reaction was by Muslims, "What? Sheikh, mm. what are you smoking? You know, what, Sheikh, what are you on? I mean, mm. what's happened to you? You mm. talking about this country?" that has done more damage to Islam, you talking about blah, blah, blah. And so mm. I got more heat from Muslims by mm. making this statement than I did from non-Muslims. Mm. But guess what? I am convinced uh, as an American citizen and as a Muslim and as a descendant of the African slave, uh, I'm convinced that I'm living in a time, I'm blessed to be living in a time and, uh, and in a country and in a region of the world that I believe that the best 
of Islam is going to come from right here where we are. Mm. That's what I believe. And secondly, I believe that North America probably has the atmosphere, has the systems in place, it has the population. Uh, it's still a young generation, it's still a young civilization, um, and it is strategic to the world that I do believe that, um, that the, the platform for the Islamic message is probably has the greatest um, proclivity or, or potential or prospect to come from North America than it does from any other way in the world. And of course, uh, Europe is going to play its part, but not a part like, in my estimation, not like North America. Mm. So um, having said that, that leads us to why I wrote this book, Islam, America, and the world. And um, So you, you mentioned that it took you six years to write this book? Well, no. It took me 40 years uh, mm. to, it took me 40 years of traveling mm. and interacting to gain the exposure, the experience, uh, and the mindset to mm. even write the book. Mm. But I started seriously collecting my writings and collecting my thoughts uh, about seven years ago uh, because okay. I was about to do a movie called um, uh, uh, Son of a Prince After X. Uh, okay. And I even did a, a, a movie teaser, so to speak, and we started the process for the movie. Yes. Uh, and so what happened is that I didn't understand the industry. Yes. Uh, I was kind of naive to the industry. And so some guys put up five million dollars to do the movie, but they wanted to control me as an artist mm. and they wanted to own the properties of the movie. Mm. And and I told them, wait a minute, guys, Spike Lee did Malcolm X because Malcolm X was dead. Mm. Alex Kelly you know, wrote the book. Because he was a double agent, you know, uh, whatever. But I'm not dead. I'm not Malcolm X. And you guys are not going to do a movie on my life and treat mm. me like an artist and kind of like give me some royalties. And you guys are going to be controlling my book. Thank you, but no thank you. Mm. So I walked away from $5 million. Mm. But to be honest with you, sometimes I do kick myself in the behind, you know, mm. and other people in my family say to me, yeah, how you do that? How do you just mm. walk away from that? Well, mm. because I was insulted. Mm. Maybe they didn't mean to insult me. Mm. They thought they were doing something good for me. But mm. because of my background and my sensitivity, mm. I was insulted that they were telling me that uh, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And, and this is what we're going to give you. And at the end of it, you're going to get 12% or 15% of the royalties and blah, blah, blah. Mm. I told them, no, guys. No, this is my life. This is my movie, and you guys are the technicians. You're, in, you're, you're the investors. And okay, you can select a director. You can be the executive producers, but you're not going to tell me what to do with my life. And you're not going to package my life like I was a dead person. Mm. I was angry, so the Brooklyn came out of me. Mm. And because the Brooklyn came out, I went what we call in the street, F it. You know, I don't want to say that word on the, mm. on the screen. I mean, on mm. our, you know, I don't want to mm. say it. So, yes. you know, in, in graphic terminology, when we get angry, African-Americans, we mm. do what's called F.I. You know, we just go another way. Mm. So I walked away from it. I was angry. I was pissed off. 
with myself too, because I should have saw it coming and I should have come at it a different way. And maybe I would have been able to, I don't know, reconcile yeah. it, right? But we didn't. So okay. then you just transitioned towards this book then? Focusing uh, on... yeah. So what happened, doctor, is that uh, I was talking to one of my daughters. Uh, and my daughter said to me, you know, dad, um, actually, maybe that was a favor from Allah. She told me, you know, Dad, actually, maybe the world and you is not so much prepared to jump right into Son of a Prince after X. Secondly, the Muslims who know you, they deserve to get the background of your experience, your exposure about Islam and about your travels around the world and how you see Islam and the world developing. She didn't say it exactly like that, but mm. that's kind of what I got from her and others that what you should probably do is collect all of your writings mm. uh, and your impressions and your insights about Islam and as you travel the world. And so that's where the title came from, mm. Islam, America and mm. the world from my perspective, mm. my spin, my experience, my insight as it affected me as a African-American. And so, yeah. um, so what happened was I began collecting my writings and I met a sister, I met a sister named Munira Walker um, through a friend of mine and she's an author. So she mm. said to me, okay, Sheikh, if you trust Hassan, who's my best friend, if you trust Hassan, then trust me because I'm the best friend of his wife. And just take a copy and send all of your stuff to me, put it in a box and send it to me. And Sheikh, I will begin to organize it. Well, it took Sister Munira the better part. Well, I'm not going to say it took her that, but it took her and I sort of like to, um, to fan it out. Uh, the better part of make four or five years. Wow. Because you, can, you can imagine that my writings uh, were probably well over 7,000 pages. Mm. So we had to kind of like make a book out of 7,000 pages. You know, like I'm yeah. writing for like, 15 or 20 years. Yes. And so she had to try to make a book. And so she called me up one day and told me, Sheikh, this is not a book. This is a movie. So mm. my first reaction was to do Son of a Prince after X. But mm. then I realized that from some other advice, well, it wasn't time, it didn't happen. So we came back to the table and we organized some, uh, uh, Islam, America, and the world. But I wasn't stable. Uh, so my writing wasn't coming uh, consistently. And so by the time the COVID hit in uh, early uh, February, early March, I was self-isolated, uh, as I told you. And then she and I started talking seriously about this book. Mm. And so I just buckled in and helped her to bring things down into the 700 pages from 7,000 pages into 700 pages. Mm. And to take the 700 pages and to break it down into three volumes, of which the first volume, Islam, America, and the World, Volume 1, is the mm. one that we are about to release in the next week or two, or whatever the case might be. Well, it's, only, so, it's going to be released only in a few weeks. Yeah, well, you know, you know I, I didn't realize that writing is not like a lecture. Uh, yeah. You know, if you want to be a, an accomplished writer, uh, you got to spell check. You got you got to do more than spell check. You've got to mm. fact check. 
You know, you've got to make sure that uh, what market are you writing to? You know, what what um, who are you writing to? Who are going to be your readers? Are it going to be Muslims? If it's going to be the world, it's going to be intellectuals. Uh, you know, are you writing about your ex personal experiences? Or are you writing about? So if you look at the title, Islam, American, the world, mm. it's a very, how can you call wide title. And not mm. many people, this is what a, a, an experienced writer told me. He mm. said, Chef, do you really want to, do you really want to tackle that kind of a topic? Mm. I tell him, yeah, that's what I want to tackle. That's what, that's what I want to talk about. So anyway, um, if you, if you kind of put that in the search bar, Google, you'll mm. find out that there's never been anybody. I don't know why. No one has ever written a book on Islam, America, and the world. Mm. You know, they took like Islam in the world, Islam in America, Islam and Muslims, or Muslims in America, but not Islam as an entity, um, uh, America as an entity, and the mm. world as a global entity, and mm. try to put those two together without clashing. Mm. So, to be honest, it wasn't easy. It wasn't. It wasn't easy for me. Uh, mm. It was very. Um, um, it's been very difficult. Um, mm. there, there's been times when I not threw up my hands, but there were times when I began to doubt whether or not I had the capacity to do this. Mm. Uh, I didn't tell anybody else that because I can fake it. You know. I mean, you know, when you talk to other people, you can find you can be confident, but inside yourself, you start seeing that maybe this is I bit off a little bit too much more than more than I could chew. So there have been times when I've been a little hesitant or maybe I've got to rethink this out and whatever it is. But, but now that my writing is kind of done, we're just putting the appendix together now, my acknowledgments, uh, we're doing the marketing, uh, uh, we're doing some other aesthetic things like illustrations and, you know, things so that it's delivered mm. um, professionally because Amazon and Times and uh, the other um, houses, they have a criteria that mm. they set that when your book comes out, if you want your book to arrive, arrive at a certain level, you have to fit a certain criteria. If you don't, your book is going to be received, but it's just going to be on, on, a, on an Amazon list, but it's mm. not going to go anywhere, maybe. Mm. So my people who advise me, and by the way, uh, doctor, um, Muslims should know this, that I selected a Jewish group of publishers. The guys that are publishing my book is, is a small uh, Jewish group in Brooklyn. Mm. And it just they just came to me some kind of way. And they, they didn't come to me, but I hooked up with them. And when I talked to them, I found that they were qualified. They were well-experienced. They were well-positioned. Um, they were very well-mannered. Uh, they were willing to deal with a guy with a red beard, mm. with a guy that has a very bad Wikipedia. Uh, uh, you know, Wikipedia mm. did a bad job on me. Uh, mm. You know, and, and a guy who, when you go to put him into Google, he comes across the good, the bad, and the ugly, and crazy stuff. Well, these guys did that. But even after that, guess what? They said, check Yassin. Um, your book is very interesting. We would really be motivated to do this book. We've never done a book like this here. And it's going to be, you know, there'll be, a, there'll be some, uh, what do you call it, growing pain with us. But we mm -hmm. promise you that if you can deal with us, we mm -hmm. can deal with you. 
And we have good experience in the market. And guess what? Against the wishes of some of my people and my advisors, I work with these guys. I'm not going to say their names because I don't have to, but I work with them. Yeah. Uh, and so it has what what has slowed me down is that they never did a book like this before. That's what slowed mm -hmm. things down. Secondly, um, what I thought they were supposed to do with me in terms of interaction, it didn't happen because publishing doesn't go that way anymore. They're not my cousins. They don't sit and babysit me. You know, they don't call me every other day or yeah. twice a week. It's not like that. So anyway, uh, it's a learning uh, curve for me. But one, once I finish this first book, the mm. second one will come, I think, probably in 45 days. And the mm. third one will come, probably come in 45 days after that. So that probably by January of 2021, more than likely, um, uh, all three of the volumes of Islam, America, and the world will probably be published. Uh, okay. So I'm sorry, that's the answer to that question. So, so the release date, uh, is that a set date or you have an approximation? No, no. what we've determined, what, what, they, what they have advised me to do is, mm. Sheikh, don't allow your audience mm. or your own self to set a date because mm. what's going to happen is once you set a date and you mm. start pre-selling books, now mm. you're going to be stuck to deliver mm. your book by that date, even though you may not be satisfied with uh, the state of it. Okay. Let your audience who have been waiting for your book for 20 years, let them wait another month if necessary or mm. whatever it takes for you to be satisfied and your publishers to be satisfied that your book is going to come out um, um, dressed properly for the market. Mm. Secondly, it comes out um, um, formatted in the way that you would want your message to come out. And thirdly, that you built a, a symmetry, or in, uh, what's the word, not symmetry, but a synergy with mm. your publishing group, with your marketing group, and with your internal group. You built a, syn a, a synergy together that everybody feels good about. Before you release this book to Amazon and you start sending the ebook to other people, uh, because that's going to set the pace for the second volume and the third volume. And so uh, uh, I'm the kind of a guy that I like to set dates. And I've been mm. saying to people that the book is coming, the book is coming, the book is mm. coming. Mm. And nobody can really complain because nobody's giving me a dime. Mm. I, we, we're not pre-selling the book at all. Yeah. So uh, I'm anticipating now that um, seems to me that since this is like the first week in September, mm. uh, it seems to me that probably... More than likely, 30 days from now, uh, we would have probably finished the book and it should be up on Amazon and okay. available for ebook uh, yes. probably around the first week uh, towards the second week of October. That's what I think. Okay, okay. that's good. Uh, if, if I could give you some nasiha, Sheikh, uh, after you release the print version of the book, um, you should also do like an audio version of the book. And what might be good is either you yourself read it, because I think you have a very uh, strong and, and powerful narrative voice. But uh, what you can do is that um, there is a few audio books that I've seen. They've done something really cool with it. They've actually 
done an audio book. So they're reading the book. Then they stop after the chapter and then they just have a discussion about it. You know what I mean? So it's almost like an audio book slash uh, podcast. So um, uh, David Goggins, he did that with his book, uh, which was like one of the top books in Amazon. It was very well received. And then uh, Malcolm Gladwell actually did that with his latest book, uh, Talking with Strangers. So it's a very nice way of like going through, because, you know, you could just do a normal audio book where you're just reading it verbatim. But this kind of gives it a little bit more oomph. You know what I mean? It gives it a little bit more dynamism. Yeah. It's like after the chapter, you you have somebody that you discuss that chapter with. So it's a cool way of uh, presenting your material in a, in a different way in that audio book format. So uh, yeah, because I want to yeah, yeah. I I see you be very successful. And I've seen this as a cool way of presenting it in a different medium. Yeah, my uh, actually, my, my contract uh, uh, includes... Um, uh, a, a printed book uh, yeah. and uh, and uh, an e an e uh, um, an e-commerce or e uh, yeah. uh, ebook uh, yeah. an audio book uh, a video book um, uh, so I can I can create that dynamic with my yeah. publishers to do the audio book with a little talk session in between I can talk to them about that I'm sure they will be happy to do that it's just yeah. that it ups the budget. Um, and to be honest with you, um, um, we talked about all different levels. We talked about the printed book, the e-book. We talked mm -hmm. about the audio book, the video book. And we also talked about doing uh, a documentary, a, a, a documentary mm -hmm. of the book. But what, what we probably are waiting to do is to see, see how Netflix and how HBO and, and, uh, and Apple and some of those people what they, what how they will view it because mm -hmm. they might make an offer to us mm -hmm. if the book is received well um to do a documentary on it mm -hmm. uh, like they did um um like netflix did uh the recent um netflix uh um series called who killed malcolm x if you saw that yeah i saw that it was very good okay um this guy didn't really write a book but, but yeah. he had a narrative, he had a script, he did yeah. some research. And Netflix yeah. bought that from him, and yeah. they did a very successful series. Yes. Well, there hasn't been a series like that since the book Malcolm X. Mm. I mean, since the, since, the, um, since the movie Malcolm X, there hasn't been anything like that on that level. So yes. my publishers are of the opinion that it is quite possible um, that if we do this right and market it properly, mm. uh, that maybe that's where it's going to lead to. And of course, I, I hope that's the case. Yes, no, it'll definitely get to a much bigger audience. Finally, what is your hope uh, for the readers of this book? What is the main thing you want the readers of this book to take away? Uh, I want them to, uh, I'm hoping that I'm going to uh, scratch uh, the surface of uh, people's consciousness. I'm going to uh, provoke um, some of the things I say, some of my views. Um, I'm using my background um, as a um, uh, as an urban thinker, as a homeboy, and I'm being a bit provocative and sometimes a little bit graphic uh, that I can um, sort of like um, uh, rattle people's cages from time to time. Secondly, 
uh, I'm hoping that I'm going to change uh, or, or, or alter the way that people see Islam. Mm. That they will not see Islam through the Muslims. They start to see Islam for what it is mm. and not through the Muslim uh, phenomena. Um, uh, the other thing is that I hope that intellectual, uh, open-minded Muslims will take some of my insights to see themselves as the world sees them, as opposed to the way they see themselves. That, and from that point of view, that before we go out, we'll fix our tie. You know, we're kind of like, um, a, like you talked about the mirror. We'll be a lot more conscious about our personal, um, um, ethnic, cultural presentations of Islam uh, and how we Muslims offer the greatest distortions and that's one of the things that I say in my book. We got to stop blaming other people for distorting Islam. Well, mm. we ourselves uh, are given to distortion more than others. It's just that it's from the inside. Uh, the, the, uh, the final thing is that I want to um, offer uh, a sense of distinction and hope uh, and self-confidence uh, to the to the revert Muslims that you don't have to play the back you don't have to play the uh, play the uh, the back line you don't have to come in from the side door or the back door you don't have to continue into to uh, play the fiddle you don't have to be the Bilal you know this whole idea of hey you guys are hey you guys are you guys are the Bilal of Islam, you know, like, and may Allah bless you guys because you guys, uh, you know, the Prophet Sam, you know, he had Bilal and you guys, no, we don't have to be that. Secondly, we do not have to wait for fatwas or, or from overseas anymore because mm -hmm. we've had enough of our sons, grandsons, uh, and uh, fellow uh, new Muslims who have traveled the world who have gone to the prestigious institutions, who have come back, who have graduated from universities in America or Canada, mm -hmm. uh, and we are no longer people that can just give bars. No, we are people that know how to manage. We know how to evaluate. Um, we are executives. We are business people. And we can take charge of Islam in our country without other people Boom feeding us or feeding us from the international nipple, so to speak, the breast. Um, uh, I want new Muslims to know that we can, we can be the host of and we can also host international um, events. We can meet with uh, um, states, uh, heads of states, and we don't have to bow our heads. And we can be representatives of our society and our mm -hmm. government without other people um, being the spokesman for us because, you know, we don't speak Arabic well enough or <clears throat> we didn't graduate with the certification of Azhar or this or that. No, mm -hmm. we know Islam well enough. We are literate enough. Um, we are smart enough. We are sincere enough. And to guess what? Most of the people 
around the world are looking for an opportunity to come to America or to come to the West, and we are already here. So um, there's about 15 or 20 targets that I have for my book. I don't want to say all of them. Mm. Um, um, and probably the last thing is um, I want my grandchildren. I want my great-grandchildren. Uh, one of my great-grandsons is nine. Wow. Uh, and the other one is uh, 11. My great-grandsons. Um, wow. um, I want them to be able to do a lecture in their school mm. uh, that didn't come from the Encyclopedia Britannica. It didn't come from Google. It didn't come from a book that they bought in a Muslim bookstore. Mm. But that it, it, it came to them from their great-grandfather who is mm. still living and whom they are studying their life plan with. I'm their mentor for mm. preparing their life plan. So mm. I'm hoping that my great-grandchildren, my grandchildren, and my children have mm. something that I didn't have. That they mm. can go to a library and see their great-grandfather's book in the library. Mm. They can order his book from Amazon. Um, that they can, they can go down the street and they can meet um, people in the ghetto or they can meet people in the university. And when their father's name or their great-grandfather's name uh, is mentioned, it's just popular. So what that basically does, it takes us out of the realm of being victimized. It takes us out of the realm of having to be um, um, second, uh, second, what do you call it, second-class citizens or second-class Muslims. And it also gives us the ability um, to present ourselves as bona fide, fully um, cognizant, literate Muslims without having to qualify ourselves by scholars somewhere else. Mm. Now, I hope that that last statement is clear uh, because it's probably the most meaningful part of my book that I want to make sure that I empower mm. my great-grandchildren. I want to empower my mother mm. from the statement I told you she made before. She told me, son, I'm, no, I'm not going to another mosque with you mm. where Asians or Africans, or she don't even know what they are, where some people who are immigrants or whatever, they're the ones who's hosting you they're the ones who own the mosque. They're the ones who's fixing their dinner, and they don't eat our food. This is my 97-year-old mother. She says, son, if you don't have your own place, your own mosque, I'm going to stay home and be a Muslim and practice Islam in my own house. Now, can you understand how that makes me feel? So I want to empower my mother before she dies. Um, God bless her and give her long life that she can say to her friend, uh, my son wrote a book. It's mm -hmm. on Amazon. Uh, I want her to be able to say that I visited my son in his center, and it's very beautiful. And I'm not talking about the Turkish center that's three minutes away, but I'm talking about the building that I'm in right now, um, which is the new um, um, Purpose of Life Foundation. Uh, and the new Sky Center, Sky Service Center, that we call it. Um, so 
my book has a lot of, uh, I don't know, I've got a lot of sentiments and a lot of things that I'm trying to do. Uh, but I think if I want to summarize it, I'm hoping that my book will remove certain misconceptions and distortions about Islam um, that non-Muslims and Muslims have contributed towards and that it will set a thinking pattern in place that when people start thinking of Islam from a critical point of view, they will now not have to go to Orientalists or they won't have to go to scholars from somewhere else. They'll start to think to themselves that, you know, we didn't know that there were people in America, I mean, homebred, mm-hmm. um, uh, what you call it, we might call it indigenous people who had the ability to talk about Islam from an international perspective, from a historical perspective, and to talk about it in terms of its future prospects. And so I think it's uh, maybe it's a little bit long-winded and maybe it's a little bit too much for me to expect, but uh, that's some of the things that I went into my uh, writing this book. Jazamah we uh, hope uh, there's a lot of barakah with these efforts and it benefits people inshallah globally as you uh, have endeavored to and uh it's again once again it's been an honor to have you uh, on the podcast it's uh, a very long episode i think we might have to break it up uh, into parts inshallah but uh definitely how, I think how long have we been now we've been four hours wow <laughs> <laughs> so we've been talking for four hours almost, Sheikh. Yeah, so we're going to definitely have... This is like the record books. We broke the record. It's my previous record, two, two and a half hours. <laughs> wow. Inshallah. Wow. Guys, look, so I'm sorry for that. You know, um, yeah, it's okay. Uh, you know, to me, to be honest with you, I've never done, uh, I've never done a podcast. Yes. Uh, I mean, I might have done something I thought was a podcast. Yeah. Um. But it was always on somebody else's terms. Yeah. It was it was on a topic that really I was kind of just being, uh, I was just trying to fit into something. But here, uh, I mean, even talking about my book, I could probably do another four hours just talking about my book. Yeah, of course. I mean, today, today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I know, I know. I, I, I can tell. But but, but, um, <laughs> but the way you the, the way you introduced um, uh, this particular. Uh, a talk and how you and I did it. Uh, there's a good chemistry here, and I want to thank you for that. Um, I want to um, thank your colleagues who were the ones who kind of set things up, uh, and I want to thank your technicians also because uh, now when I get ready to do a podcast, I'm going to have my technical people to set it up just like his fellow technicians. Thank you very much for that. And also, uh, Dr. Sayed, um, uh, I, I really appreciate it. Um, the work that you're doing is, um, is uh, uh, clearly um, descriptive to me. Um, the, the nature of your work, I hope that I'll be, I hope that I'll be another guest of yours. And I hope that we can somewhat make some kind of a joint venture uh, mm. between Purpose Media. So, so I'm hoping that we can do some kind of a joint venture out of all of this. Uh, and I, I really appreciate um, uh, you giving me this opportunity to reach your audience um, because I just think it's significant. The topic that we've covered, um, this is sort of like virgin territory. Yeah. It seems to me that uh, we're setting a precedent right now 
that people of different backgrounds can talk about Islam mm. um, in the 21st century and mm. talk about issues in a very blunt, professional, um, uh, intellectual way, and even disagree mm. without the disagreement becoming evident. Mm. Um, uh, and that we can complement each other without conceding to mm. anything, you know. And, and so that's what I kind of saw. And, and, and it happened so quickly and so easily that I didn't even realize that it's been four hours or more. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, subhanAllah. So, so, and you have energy, Sheikh, because uh, some people are bringing on the podcast after one hour, they get tired. They, they're, they're, they're tired after one hour. Uh, and uh, my, my goal was always like, if we're extracting juice, let's keep squeezing. Let's keep squeezing until we get more out, you know? So uh, you, you didn't let go either. I was like, you know, the sheikh is 70, 74. He, he's keep going like he started like four hours ago. He's still at the same level. of he's keep, He keeps squeezing. Who's going to let go of the thing yeah. first? <laughs> you know, brother, to be honest with you, uh, to be honest with you, uh, I've learned to make uh, uh, this special tea that the Somalis make. It's yeah. made with gurumful uh, and hay, yeah. Yeah. you know, uh, uh, and honey. Yes. Uh, so um, if you drink it strong without milk, uh, yes. it sort of like keeps you up, right? So yeah. I didn't drink. I didn't drink that before yeah. we spoke. Yeah. I was getting ready to suggest to you, hey. Yeah. Give me five minutes. You know, I got some of this tea already made. Yeah, Let me yeah. go give me a sip of that and we can keep yeah. going. No, thank you, thank you very much, brother. Yeah, you know, inshallah, you were talking about Turkey. We should, uh, I think, a future bucket list project. We should uh, do a program in Turkey. I I frequently have gone there, and uh, those changes, as you've mentioned, uh, I've really appreciated that. And uh, I think it's it has a good environment right there. I know a lot of brothers there, and I think um, that and maybe one or two other places. There's a lot of good hope. Uh, from the Muslim world, you know, like, uh, uh, for example, Pakistan, I read an article just the other day, they went from having the worst stock market in an Asian country to this year having the best performing stock market in all the Asian countries. You know what I mean? And and the only difference I see is that you have like a leadership that uh, is showing like some Islamic minded principles. You know what I mean? So... You never, Allahu Adam, we might see some amazing things in our lifetime, inshallah. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm hopeful of that. Uh, and being an optimist, um, I'm thinking that some very powerful things are going to happen uh, in our world. Um, and um, I'm, I'm surely I'm a bit subjective about this here. But I think to myself that the message of Islam for the 21st century, the dialectical message of Islam, the energy of Islam for the 21st century, uh, that that has already started to come from the West. And I think that within five, seven to 10 years, it's going to be a prominent energy that everyone can see. And even that the Eastern traditional Muslim world uh, will have to concede that Mm. the energy and the presentation of Islam uh, dialectically uh, will be coming probably from the West. That's you know, I, I think we both have selfish interests, right? We were bo- both born 
and raised in the West. And I think um, we definitely, um, we want to see that happen, Sheikh, but we got to work hard, I think, for that. Because what's happening is the energy of the youth is being co-opted by many other uh, interests. You know what I mean? Yes. And and I think part of that is because, you know, the communities have neglected the youth. We've really neglected that. So I really, it was really heartwarming to hear that one of your reasons for your book is so that you have, uh, you know, a, a direct link to your, your grandchildren to help them come up and guide them um, within this environment. So, uh, you know, I think that's very good forward thinking. And uh, but it's just a tremendous right now energy that's being utilized um, to take away our next generation, just to confuse them, to distract them, all those things. So we, we have a lot of work to do, inshallah, Sheikh. Yes, we do. And thank you. Uh, but again, even with that great work that we have to do, uh, diamonds, uh, diamonds, uh, they come from the pressure of the earth. Okay. Mm. Uh, and pearls, they're not on the top of the water. Uh, they're on the bottom. Mm. And gold, uh, if it were evident from the sky, uh, mm. that uh, people wouldn't have to dig for it, everybody would have gold. Mm. So um, I think that looking at the greatest challenge that seems to exist, the most energetic, uh, creative, um, maybe even destructive mm. youth element in the world is in the West. Mm. Okay, so therefore I believe on the, uh, the further side of the spectrum, uh, the most optimistic, uh, prospective, powerful, impressive. I mean, you can just think of what hip-hop has done. Hip-hop is almost like a religion. And it has affected everywhere and every corner of the world. And yeah. that started, hip-hop started in Brooklyn, just yeah. for people to know. So uh, I believe that um, the, the, the present world and, and the Western world, where we have so many moral uh, mm. problems uh, mm. and all of that, that is the case. There are some big challenges there. But again, based on the tools that Allah has given to us, I am very uh, confident. Uh, that the young people uh, in the West, they're going to set some trends uh, that's going to change the thinking and open up or irrigate the ground uh, for the Islamic seed to be planted and for inshallah. it to take root. Inshallah. That's my feeling. Inshallah. Again, Jazamakhir, Sheikh, and hopefully we can stay united upon uh, this khair, this goodness on this path. And to the rest of our audience, remember, we want to live by the haq, die by the haq, and just when you think life is stuck, tune in to life haq. Jazamakhir. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalamu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Addressing real issues with real solutions with real Muslim communities living in the West. Join the Life Hug Podcast family as we go beyond the theoretical. To connect with us, go to youtube.com slash Dr. Sayed and support us by subscribing and hitting the notification bell. For more reminders, follow us on Twitter at life underscore Huck. Do I feel that the New York police are providing enough protection or do I have to have protection of my own? I look for protection from Allah.